Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Anybody ready for the Word of God? Well, we have the pastor in the house tonight. It's always an honour to sit under his teaching. So shall we give Ali a huge round of applause as he comes to the stage? Good evening, everybody. Great to be with you once again. It's always an honour and a privilege to come around the scriptures, to preach the word of God. So never, ever want to take that for granted. I believe that tonight... Every time we open the scriptures, we have the opportunity to engage at an incredible level with God that has the potential to radically change our lives. Needed one more, yeah, than one there. And tonight is no different. But that's down to you as much as it is me. Because I believe that God, as always, is going to speak to us, he's going to challenge us, and if we respond to his word as he would want us to, our lives could never be the same again. Two amens, we're getting somewhere. Last week, Kate and I were at a wedding, in fact, we were at two weddings, um, both Christian weddings. Kate had the honor and privilege of conducting the service on the Sunday wedding, which was our nephews and it was you know sitting there having the the wedding breakfast after all the proceedings and all the speeches uh, obviously geared towards the bride and groom but God was in there through it all and I just got thinking about actually how how like how similar and what similarities were there in that moment or generally between weddings and church And, and, and I think that I think that there are some significant differences, but there's also some challenges. Obviously, it was all about, say, the bride and the groom, and it's all about God, right, when we come. But if we were to really search our hearts, if we were to really examine even the situation we're in now, even the moments, the brief moments that we've had already, is it really about God and if it is really about God what is it about God and is our focus of God the right focus of God you see unlike a wedding you might go to uh, let's say an engagement party or let's say a birthday party say and the center of attention will be the person whose birthday it is but if that person left early, it probably wouldn't feel that much different. But when it's, when it's a wedding and the bride and groom, you know, if you had a wedding without the bride and groom there, all that would be left would be the family and friends, right? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be right. And so often, I believe that we can sometimes slip into that kind of notion with church. We go through the motions, we sing the songs, we hear some words... But actually, is God with us? Now, we know theologically God is omnipresent, God is everywhere. But I want to challenge you tonight about 
catching hold of the very presence, the manifest presence of God. That presence that is not just head knowledge, but it's felt knowledge. It's like, I know God is here. Has anybody ever experienced that? You just know God is here. Not, I know God is here, but I know. And, and sometimes in times and moments like that, all you can do is freeze. Because <laughs> you don't want to put a foot wrong. You know God's loving, but he's also awesome. And it's like, I can't afford to move here. People have experienced like the atmosphere is so thick. And I believe God wants us to experience that. Not just tonight, but moving forward. But how do we get that? How do we recognize that? Well, we have to recognize God. And to recognize God, we need to look at the scriptures. We need to not just recognize God through our own lenses, but we have to put on the Bible's lenses and sometimes get rid of our own prejudices, sometimes get rid of our own thoughts and traditions and actually get to the raw, meaty, just incredible awesomeness of God. We should first and foremost come as we gather to meet God with everyone else. I believe that's what a church service should be. But so often we come with everyone else and God's there. But that's not how it should be. It should be that we come first and foremost for the king. We come not to meet one another. We do meet one another, and that's great. It's called fellowship. But we come to these gatherings. We come 10.30 in the morning up at the hub in Edwalton. We come here in the heat of the, the, the heat of day at 6.30 at night. We don't come to meet one another. We do that, but we come to meet him. We come to meet God himself. And so often we get it the other way around. First and foremost, it's like, oh, I'm going to meet so-and-so and I'll see so-and-so. And God's there as well. No, 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 no. We come to meet God. And the one thing, this is my last preach, as Kate said, before we go on sabbatical, you've got Kate next week. She's got a great message lined up. But what do I want to leave with you for at least three months, but more than that? What do I want to leave you with? is a change dynamic in this service. I want us to see in the next few minutes God in a fresh way. I want to see God viewed through the Bible. I want to see, I want you to see with me God as he is, not how we think he might be. I want to leave you, even from next week, but for the next three months and ongoing, I want to leave this place knowing that the manifest presence of God is dwelling here every time we show up to meet him. I was captivated about a month ago in the Bible in a year scriptures that I'm going through. 1 Chronicles 
13 verses 1 to 14. I'm going to read the whole scripture, the whole chapter, um, because I think it's good to read chunks of scripture so we can get into the flow of what's saying, the narrative, the context. So often we just pick the sound bites, and there's a time and place for that, but we need to get into the word properly. We need to, we need to get ourselves immersed into it. So uh, unapologetically, we're going to take a few minutes to read this scripture. It'll come up on the screen there, but read with me, and if you're in your Bibles, 1 Chronicles. And this is the reign of David. King Saul was the first Saul of, at first Saul, the first king of Israel, and it didn't go too good. God didn't want kings, but the people did, so he let them have their way. How many of you know that God lets us have our ways? It's not always the best way. But nevertheless, things continued and, and David came and he sorted quite a few things out as we'll see one significant one here. The scripture says, David consulted with all his officials, including the generals and captains of his army. Then he addressed the entire assembly of Israel as follows. If you approve, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send messages to all the Israelites throughout the land, including the priests and Levites in their towns and pasture lands. Let us invite them to come and join us. It is time to bring back the ark of our God. For we neglected it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to this, for the people could see that it was the right thing to do. So David summoned all Israel, from the Shehor Brook of Egypt in the south, all the way down to the Lebo Hamath in the north, to join in bringing the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim, then David and all Israel went to Bala of Judah, also called Kiriath-Jerim, to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house. Uzzah and Ahio were guiding the cart. David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments lyres harps tambourines cymbals and trumpets but when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and he struck him dead because he had laid his hand on the ark so Uzzah died there in the very presence of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perizuza, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it is called today. David was now afraid of God, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God back into my care? So David did not move the ark into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of God remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he owned. This is a story of David wanting to restore, wanted to bring back God's presence 
God's structure, God's system, God's commandments where they had failed in the previous generation under the previous rule. He wanted to do an honorable thing and he did an honorable thing but it didn't go according to the way that God wanted it to go. For those of you new to church Christianity, God, the ark was like a box. I don't know, probably the size of this platform, maybe a little smaller, but it it was a, a big chest. And you've probably heard of the Ten Commandments. They were put inside, originally inside this chest. And there was two angels. We've just read about them there. The cherubim, they were on either side. And in between there, even now, even now, just thinking about it that was where the presence of God that was where the manifest presence of God you can now through the cross in Jesus experience the manifest presence of God anywhere in the world but back then you it would only be in that place between the cherubim between the angels this was such a a holy place this was such an important it wasn't just a bit of wood and a wooden box this was where God chose to dwell and we see in the scriptures that again there was, it was an honorable thing that David did and he even he even got a new cart the scriptures tell us he didn't get some old dusty cart he got a new he made a new cart for God that's honorable isn't it he made a new cart for God he even got the the musicians, he got, he got a, a royal fanfare so that they could celebrate God coming back. All honorable things, right? Not a trick question. They were. David's heart was in the right place. But just as in the beginning, when the scripture said that he consulted the officials, he didn't consult God. He didn't consult God's word because if he had consulted God's word, he would have seen that though God gave specific instructions for carrying himself around. Why did he do that? Because God is holy. God is set apart. Holy means to be, to be set apart in a league of your own. Forrest have just gone up to the Premier League, but God couldn't be in a Premier League if he was a football team. He would have to be in a Premier Premier League all on his own because that's what he is he's set apart there is no one like him you don't mess with God he's the creator of the cosmos he's the master of the universe he threw the stars out into space he holds the oceans in the span of his hand this is our God just a few more amens this is God so David did these things. He, he put the new cart in place. He had the royal fanfare. His intentions were good and honorable, but he didn't carry out God's commands. If he did, if he did consult them, he'd have known in red uh, in the Pentateuch, and that he would have known it by in Numbers 4, that the Levites were supposed to carry the ark. The Levites and the priests, they were the people who were set apart to deal with a set-apart God. And he would have known that you don't touch the Ark of the Covenant or you will die. The Bible tells that. 
That's why they had to carry the ark on poles. The Levites carried them on poles. They couldn't touch that. That's God. You can't touch God and live. That's what my Bible says. God doesn't change. Yet, yet how are we viewing God? How are we viewing God tonight? I know you're being challenged. I know you're thinking about what I'm saying. That's good. Sounds harsh on first reading, doesn't it? But Uzzah died. God killed him. It's hard to swallow, isn't it? Oh, the ark's falling down. Oh, I'll stop it from falling to bits. But there's a command, don't touch. Why didn't he trust that the creator of the world could make that ark not break? Again, it was an honorable thing. And we can be honorable in our service to God and our coming together. But are we doing as he wants us to do? Are we worshiping him the way that he should be worshiped? Or are we just doing it our own way even, even, dare I say, the best we can. And we might think, oh, we're doing the best we can. I'm here tonight to tell you the best we can is not always good enough. Because when we get the revelation and we read the word and the scriptures become alive in us, then we can worship him better. But the best we can, with a minimal scan reading of the Bible, is not honoring God. I hope you're here in my heart. I'm, I'm deliberately trying to challenge us because I know that God wants to explode tonight. I know that he wants this to be a bridge. I know that he wants us to step into something, something mighty, something incredible, something awesome, but we've got to understand it. We've got to fully understand what it is that we're getting into. So you might say, Ali, well, I can just about grasp that. But it's, it's Old Testament, it's Old Covenant, it's, it's law-based. We're under grace now. And we are, thank God that we're under grace. We'll come to that in a minute. But it's not just the Old Testament where God killed people. And he didn't, listen, he didn't go around just killing people willy-nilly. But we can look in Acts 5. And if you don't know it, let's spend just a couple of minutes to read this scripture. Some of you who have been around the block will know it when I say it's Ananias and Sapphira. The scripture says, this is, this is New Testament, fresh, out the box, New Testament. Jesus died, buried, resurrected, new life, Pentecost, move of the spirit like the wolves never seen before. There was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property he bought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount with his wife's consent he kept the rest then Peter said Ananias why have you let Satan fill your heart wow you lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. Peter got a word of knowledge. He knew. He knew what was going on. Verse 4, the property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do 
a thing like this. You weren't lying to us, but to God. He lied to Almighty God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Can you imagine that? Me standing here right now, telling an out-and-out lie that you didn't realize was a lie, and then just suddenly, you would all be terrified. You would all be terrified, right? Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, what was, uh, was this the price you and your husband received from your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. It's not meant to be funny, but instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Listen, context. I haven't heard a story like this since. It seems like God was making a point right at the start of the early church that he's still God, that he's still awesome, that he's still in charge, that he's still larger than you think, that he is holy, that he is to be feared, that we should hold him with the greatest esteem and reverence, and we shouldn't mess around with this stuff. Lying to God. As if he's just some kind of airy, fairy, wishy-washy, namby-pamby God. This is the creator. This is the one who formed you, who knew you before you were even in your mother's womb. This is the one who knows all our days. This is the one who's outside of time and inside of time. This is the one who is present before and after, in the middle, outside of it all. This is our God. Let me give you not as long, but two final scriptures. Hebrews 12, another New Testament scripture. You can see in the graphics where they are. If you're new to the Bible, it's always just good to know where we are. Just a few verses here. Hebrews 12. Be careful. Be careful, people. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. One there has got a capital O. Talking of God, the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise 
So, or you can read that Mount Sinai stuff. That is, that is just incredible. Just stop and meditate on it. The smoke on the mountain, the earth trembling, everything cracking off. It's like Spielberg wouldn't even be able to recreate that. Absolute intense and incredible awe and holiness. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise once again. This is the new covenant. This is the New Testament. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. God's coming to shake some stuff up. Oh, he is. I think he's just starting now. I think there are just some, some tremors. They're probably awesome in our eyes, but they're nothing compared to what he is going to do. The scriptures continue. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, this is our duty. Let us be thankful and please God by worshipping him. How? With holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. One version says a consuming fire. When we sing these songs, I wonder and I challenge myself, am I worshipping God who is a consuming fire or am I just focusing on the God who is love? He's both. He's not one or the other. And it's not like, oh, when I'm less loving, I'm more awesome. When I'm less awesome, I'm more loving. He's both. This is our God. He loves us out of his awesomeness. And we're going to sing our last song in a minute. And my challenge is to you is to see God through the lens of Scripture that we've read tonight. We've just, we've just clipped the treetops. We've just, just wet your appetite. We're just looking generally at this kind of God that we serve. But as we sing our final song, I want us to experience and worship. I want us to worship the God who is almighty and all-powerful, who loves us so much. And we're going to see that right now. Because you might say, how could a loving God treat people in such a way as we've just read in the last few minutes? And I would say, a better question would be, how would an awesome God, or why would an awesome God even bother to love us as he does we're going to see this in our final scripture Ephesians chapter 2 once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins you used to live in sin that's how we lived when we were outside of Christ I don't know whether we're all saved here tonight we might be but before that we would we were living our own way we were living in sin that's how we were living and the bible says we were dead let's call it as it was we were dead and we came alive in christ you used to live in sin it says just like the rest of the world obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world he is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey god all of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature by our very nature we were subject to God's 
anger, just like everything else. It's been a bleak picture, hasn't it, tonight? But I'm switching it up in the last couple of minutes. Here's the scripture, carrying on. But God is so rich in what? In mercy. And he loved us so much. This holy, this awesome, this inspiring God loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Sorry, I'm shouting. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only, this is the message that the world needs to hear. It's only by God's grace that we're saved. But we're the only religion, the only faith. There are are tens, hundreds of different religions and gods in the world. But we're the only one where God comes down to rescue his people. We're the only one. We're the only religion, if you're happy calling it that. We're the only religion that doesn't have to do anything to gain salvation every other religion you have to earn your salvation you have to work for it you have to evangelize for it you have to get spiritual brownie points to get into heaven but we can't do the work we can't there's not nobody's good enough to do the work to be saved because it would take perfection but Jesus did the work for us. And now we do works because he saved us. This is our God. Incredible. Let's get back to scripture. I'm finishing. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. This awe-inspiring, holy, consuming fire lives in you and lives in me. It's like we've got cherubim either side of us in that old covenant, that Old Testament picture. And God chooses to live inside of us. If that's not doing anything for you right now, I pray that it does. I pray that God will reveal something to you right now. Because this is truly awe inspiring. This is too much for the human mind to contemplate. That's why Romans says God's spirit speaks to our spirit. Don't try and work it out. Well, not first and foremost, but allow that truth to enter into your spirit right now that God, the King, is inside of you. And some of you are getting that old way of thinking, but what? But I'm not good enough. That's not the Bible. We know we're not good enough. No one's good enough. I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. That's why Jesus did what he did so that we could have God inside. I need to remind some of you, maybe tell some of you, that when God sees you now, irrespective of what you've done, irrespective of how you perform in your life, God sees you if you are in Christ tonight. He sees Jesus in you. 
Because the Bible says that we are spirit, soul and body. And when God looks at you, He looks to the perfected spirit that He has made, that He has put inside of you. That's a part of you that got born again. You are spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. We're trying to work this last bit out. We're never going to get it right, but we're going to get better and better. We're going to try and renew our mind, but we want to be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh, Galatians 5 says. So we keep striving to be better and better, but that is not what God sees, the performance. He sees our spirit and it's 100% righteous. That's why Kate's got the tattoo somewhere on her body amongst them all. I don't know where it is now. She's got so many, but it says 100% righteous. It's not a boast in herself. It's not a presumption. It's the truth. If you're in Christ, God doesn't see a blemish in you spiritually. If he did, then the work of Jesus Christ failed because you need to be 100% righteous to have God inside of you and to live forever in eternity with him. That's the truth. That's the truth. God saved you, it says, finishing. I'm finishing the finish. God saved you by the grace, when you, by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. Now in light of what I've just said, turn to the person next to you and say, I am God's masterpiece. Come on, say it like the Bible says you are. Now turn to the other person and say, you are God's masterpiece. Come on, Andrew, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. All right, behave yourself. I'm finishing on the finish of the finish. And I don't know whether I've got an hour long or whatever. My clock's not going round, but don't worry about it. (laughs) I am. I am. Never let me forget it. God is holy, to be feared, a consuming fire. But at the same time, His love for us is unparalleled, uncompromising. It's outstanding. You know, we've got a leadership team for this Sunday evening service, and they're doing a great job. They've got plans and strategies to grow this congregation. But actually, if we dared to ask tonight for the presence of God God who is both awesome and loving it's both a consuming fire but a consuming compassion for the loss for the downtrodden for the hurting if if we dare to ask for the presence of that God tonight not just the one we like or the one we don't mind now and again but actually the one that says doesn't matter God doesn't matter about our plans whatever you say whatever you say we do you're in charge I just wonder if we worship that God even in our final song tonight that we might catch a hold of something that every strategy that our team has got will be blown out the water why because when God is manifest people will come People will flood in. People will be drawn. You will want to invite people. 
because you know it's not something that has been produced by a team and, and worked that week but might not work as well next week. Friends, the production, the lights, the music, everything is good, but we want presence over production. It's time to bring back the presence. Just like, woo, sorry, just like David said, it's time to bring back the ark of the Lord. Friends, I want to say prophetically, it's time to bring back the presence of God. I'm not demeaning what we've done. I'm not demeaning where we've been. I'm not demeaning our, our, our heart and calling us out because our heart and intentions have been good. But like David, there's a, there's a better way. There's a better way. And that's to do things his way and to honor him for who he is and what he has said in his word. Is anybody with me on that one? Let's stand to our feet. We are going to worship him. We're going to sing this song, Holy Spirit. Let me read you just a few words that you're going to sing. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. It's good to know what you're going to sing rather than you singing it verbatim. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're going to sing. You're going to ask these words. Come, flood this place and fill the atmosphere. If you really knew what you were singing, whew, but we're going to sing it. We're going to give this a go. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. <sighs> to be overcome by your presence, Lord. I dare us all and I welcome us all and I encourage us all to sing those words. And to not let it just be words, but a heart's desire that his presence will overcome us. That will ever